to Max Politics. This is Ben Max. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're coming to you from New York Law School, where I've recently begun as the executive editor and program director for the Center for New York City Law. We're going to be building on the center's legacy and infrastructure to bring you a whole lot more in 2024 and beyond. So stay tuned for more info on that, but very happy to be here. And we're now bringing you Max Politics from the Center for New York City Law at New York Law School and the in-depth conversations about New York politics and policy continue. This is our third episode since moving over to New York Law School, and we're off and running. But as I said, do stay tuned not only for more great podcast conversations, but a whole lot more that we'll be doing at the Center for New York City Law in 2024 and beyond from more events to more reporting and commentary on New York policy government, and law. Today on the show, we are digging in on a hugely consequential political topic, and that is congressional redistricting. This is the process by which district lines are drawn for what are New York's now 26 districts in the U.S. House of Representatives, a significant number in the 435-seat lower chamber of the U.S. Congress, though I'll note that number has been dropping for many years for New York. A new chapter in an extended redistricting saga is about to unfold given a recent ruling from New York's top court, and that controversial process will unfold as candidates, campaigns, and others are gearing up for the very important 2024 elections. We are speaking here on Monday, December 18th, 2023. And so we're just a couple of weeks from the calendar turning to this next election year that will be extremely consequential. So there's a lot to get into today. And my guest is Professor Jeff Weiss, quite possibly New York's top expert on redistricting. Jeff Weiss directs the Census and Redistricting Institute at New York Law School, where he's an adjunct professor and senior fellow wanted to have Jeff on the show for a while to discuss redistricting, and now is the perfect opportunity given the New York Court of Appeals December 12th ruling on redistricting that we'll get into in a moment, and also great now that he's a colleague at New York Law School. Professor Jeff Weiss joins me shortly to discuss what the New York Court of Appeals recently ruled on redistricting, the important backstory to it all, and of course, what comes next. Now, Drawing legislative district lines can sound a little dull, but it has immense real-world consequences in terms of representation in government and the policies and decisions that government makes. That's part of why in 2014, New Yorkers approved a new state constitutional amendment offered to them by the state legislature to create a new redistricting process outlawing partisan gerrymandering, otherwise known as drawing districts to favor one political party or another, and trying to infuse a real element of independent, data-driven, non-political decision-making to this map-making process by which New York's congressional and state legislative districts are shaped. In the first test of that new process, however, things went haywire, and the situation wound up in court as the once-a-decade redistricting based on the U.S. Census unfolded, and eventually New York's top court, the Court of Appeals, sent the case back to a judge who appointed a special master to draw the lines outside of the process outlined in that constitutional amendment that had been passed by voters back in 2014. More on all that background in a moment. In 2022, after those new district lines were drawn by the special court-appointed expert based on a complicated legal process that included Democrats' maps being rejected uh, by the courts, Republicans in New York were able to flip several U.S. House seats and contribute to the very narrow Republican majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, meaning that as of January 2023, Democrats no longer had control of the White House U.S. Senate, and U.S. House. This dramatically shifted the political playing field in Washington, D.C., 
Several of those 2022 Republican wins were in New York districts where Democrat Joe Biden had bested Republican Donald Trump during the 2020 election, sometimes by six, eight, or even 10 points. But the voters who turned out two years later in 2022 chose Republicans in a handful of highly competitive races. New York's current House delegation is now 15 Democrats and 10 Republicans. It had been 11 Republicans until George Santos was expelled from the House recently. So there's now an open seat in New York's third congressional district, and a special election is taking place there that will conclude on February 13th. It's a district that includes a slice of Eastern Queens, as well as a bigger chunk of Nassau County on Long Island. There will still be a full election for that seat in 2024 as well, just like all of the other 25 congressional districts in New York. But whoever wins the New York three special election will be the short term incumbent. Maybe more on that race later if we have time. Uh, but that special election is going to be held under the current district lines as this process unfolds, where the lines will likely shift ahead of the primaries in 2024 and the general election come the fall of 2024. Since all 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives are on the ballot every two years, all of New York's 26 seats are up for election again in 2024. And it will, of course, also be a presidential election year, which often significantly changes the electorate given higher voter turnout. Also worth noting that New York's junior U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is up for re-election in 2024 as well. So her campaign statewide will coincide with the presidential and all 26 House races here. New York has roughly six to 10 House seats that can be competitive depending on exactly how these district lines are drawn. There's a small group of basically definite Republican seats, more or less, a fairly large group of very likely Democratic seats, many in New York City and centered in the other big cities of the state, and then this roughly half a dozen so-called swing seats. But again, some of that depends based on what those districts look like and their makeup of certain demographic groups, voter enrollment, how many Democrats, Republicans, independent, and others in a district can significantly impact which major party candidate is able to win election. There are, of course, other significant factors besides what the district lines look like and who is in those lines, such as the candidates and their campaigns, of course, as well as the dominant issues, events, political trends, whether it's a presidential year and more. That's enough background from me. I'm not going to go all into it now here on congressional redistricting in New York. We'll cover a lot of it with my guest today, Professor Jeffrey Weiss of the Census and Redistricting Institute at New York Law School. As I bring Jeff Weiss on, I will say this again, the New York Court of Appeals ruled on December 12th to reignite the redistricting process, telling the state's independent redistricting commission to get back to work and to present the state legislature a new congressional district map by February 28th, 2024. What that looks like, how the process goes, and what happens once the legislature is presented with something are all very big unknowns. So let's bring Professor Jeff Weiss in to help us understand all of this and more. Jeff, thanks for being here. How are you? A pleasure being with you and, and welcome to uh, New York Law School. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Happy to be have the chance to be working closely together uh, real soon. So big picture here, what did the New York Court of Appeals just rule and give folks a little more insight into what the ruling stated and what and what comes next in sort of big, broad strokes here before we well, get into a lot of the specifics? Yeah, the main holding that came out of the State Court of Appeals is that redistricting is and remains a, in, in the end, a state legislative responsibility that the state legislature has been uh, responsible for drawing the uh, new maps for the legislature and Congress since the state's creation, and that the 2014 constitutional amendment that the voters approved uh, by creating uh, a so-called independent redistricting commission uh, still uh, presents the legislature with the task of making the final decision after the commission makes its recommendations. And the, and the commission is really the new feature in state law because uh, prior to 2014, 
All the work was done in the legislature, but the court basically reasserted the predominant role of the legislature in making the final decisions. How, according to that, I didn't give all the details of that 2014 amendment. So how, according to that, is the process supposed to go and what went wrong? Where did it find a tick up in process? And what what's the process plan now per the Court of Appeals ruling? Okay. Well, the 2014 amendment created the uh, commission uh, and the commission was tasked with recommending uh, one or possibly two maps to the legislature for consideration. It was somewhat modeled after a system that Iowa has used for 40 or 50 years where uh, the commission develops one set of maps after extensive hearings across the state, uh, submits the map to the legislature, uh, then the legislature, meaning the assembly and the Senate can vote on the maps up or down with no amendments. If the first map is approved, then it goes to the governor for you know, her or his approval. Uh, excuse me, if it's rejected, then the commission goes back to the drawing board and must submit a second set of maps to the legislature. If the second set is rejected, then, or the governor uh, vetoes the, the map, uh, then the legislature can draw a map of its own. What happened last year was that the commission failed to agree on one bipartisan map, but instead sent competing Democratic and Republican maps to the legislature. And when I say competing Democratic and Republican maps, there are 10 members of the commission, uh, basically five Democrats and five Republicans. There's no odd member tie-breaking vote. So the commission deadlocked at 5-5, sent two sets of maps to the legislature, and all the maps were rejected. At that point, the commission was supposed to reassemble and work on a second map to send to the legislature, but that's where things fell apart. The commission basically imploded. It was unable to continue its work. There was a lot of finger pointing back and forth between the Democrats and the Republicans as to who was to blame. But the bottom line is that the commission failed to complete its task. Uh, at that point, this is now February 2022, the legislature took it upon itself to draw the maps uh, directly. And on February 2nd, 2022, after the congressional and state Senate maps were enacted, the assembly map was also passed, but um, wasn't challenged. A lawsuit was brought in Steuben County, New York, uh, a, a small county south of Rochester, uh, between Rochester and Syracuse, uh, where it was argued that the legislature stepped in inappropriately, that without the commission's <clears throat> second map submission, the legislature couldn't act. Uh, the lawsuit also argued that the congressional plan violated the state constitution's new criteria by creating a map that ended up in partisan gerrymandering or essentially uh, favoring or disfavoring a political party or candidates. So after the implosion and the legislature's map um, being enacted, a major court case took up most of the time from February through the spring of 2022, ending up with a state court judge uh, bringing in a special master or an outside expert, so to speak, to draw the challenged and since discredited state Senate and congressional maps. And those court-drawn maps were used in the 2022 elections to elect our congressional delegation and members of the state Senate. The assembly map wasn't challenged, reason being that the uh, assembly Republicans and Democrats reached a deal, a bipartisan compromise. So both parties got what, got what they wanted in the map and no one challenged the assembly. Subsequently, the assembly was challenged because of the process problem that the legislature couldn't act. And as a result, the assembly map was also redrawn not by a special master, but by sending the map 
back to the commission late last year where a new map was drawn that was actually accepted by the assembly, the Senate and the governor and became law. So a few things here. <laughs> I know there's a lot to digest. And yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And we have a chance to to get into it. So the, well, let's, let's just jump to the new ruling, the new ruling just out on December 12th, a little less than a week before we're speaking here, is saying what about the process? Basically, pick back up where you left off redistricting commission, right? That's correct. The the Court of Appeals uh, held that the map that was drawn for the congressional districts last year was only to be used for the 2022 elections, that the judge in that case uh, because of the tight time frame, uh, the inability of the legislature to act, and the calendar, a new map had to be drawn for the 2022 elections. Uh, the court held that that map was uh, created on an emergency basis and not to be used again between 2024 and 2030, uh, and that it was the responsibility of the legislature to enact a plan hopefully a plan uh, submitted by the commission, but that the constitutional process had to be played out. And that's where we are today. The dissent in that um, ruling was interesting. And even aside from that, or as part of that, there's questions here about whether, in fact, the maps that were drawn, even if they were outside of this uh, constitutional process should be left in place for the rest of this decade until the next census and redistricting, and hopefully the constitutional process is followed more closely. Then, we'll recap a little bit, if you would, the the minority dissent in this recent case, and sort of the broader questions around even if there's a constitutional argument for doing what the court ruled, is this too much upheaval for voters? Well, the the dissenters in the decision last week, and the court has seven members, uh, four members comprised the majority, and three were in the minority, the three dissenters. Aha, you need you need an odd number to, to, to make make these decisions. Right. It's a close <laughs> vote. Just yeah. as last year the vote was the other way around, right. with a different makeup of the court. The court ruled uh four to three to reject the plan. Now a different court is ruling four to three to draw up a new map. The three members of the court who um, voted with the former chief judge who created the four block majority last year to reject the plan, uh, one of them, uh, Judge uh, Anthony Canarado, uh, wrote a dissent where he basically argued that this was all political and that uh, this was a, a fix was in by the Democrats to preordain a map and that there was no reason to invalidate the map used last year. Now, the issue here isn't the map the court created last year at all, although some people don't like the map and some do like the map, obviously, they're both sides. The map itself wasn't challenged. It was the process you know, uh, uh, to be frank about it, nothing prevents the commission or the legislature from enacting the court joint map last year. Again, although we doubt sure. that's happened, the last week's decision was a process situation. It was not on the substance or the merits of the map itself. It was simply that you've got to follow the rules that the voters approved a constitutional amendment that calls for a commission to suggest a map to the legislature and for the legislature to take final action. And that all that prevented that from happening last year was the calendar that we were in April, May, June of last year. The primary for 2022 elections had to be held even as late as it was, as things turned out, the congressional primary was pushed off until August of last year. So, you know, there, as you suggested, there is voter confusion, but this isn't the first time that we've had this kind of a situation before. I mean, going back to the 1960s, uh, after the U.S. Supreme Court held that uh, this whole area of the law, reapportionment, redistricting, 
was justiciable or that courts could hear these cases. And they created the one person, one vote population equality mandate. Um, states didn't know what to do 50 years ago. And New York ended up having new maps almost every year in the mid 1960s. It's not something we're, we want, not something we strive for. But if we're following the rule of law, these things do happen and lines do change. I want to come back to where this process failed. Now, obviously, there's very clearly, as I was, you know, half joking there, uh, and you had previously mentioned this notion that the independent redistricting commission that was set up in this in this constitutional amendment has ten members, and that seems somewhat designed to potentially deadlock. Now, there are theories, of course, that many people in the legislature are fine with the commission deadlocking because then the legislature gets to draw the lines. They get to draw the lines even if the commission doesn't deadlock because they can just reject the maps anyway and, and draw the lines. But there's a process that has to unfold. And as part of the ruling last year, the process had been, uh, it was ruled that the process had been violated and the Court of Appeals now ruling this year that the process needs to be picked back up and actually followed. What do you have any insight into what happened where the state legislature didn't seek some remedy, some way to force the redistricting commission to at least send it another two sets of maps, even if the redistricting commission was not going to agree on a map together in a sort of bipartisan fashion? One time it it had sent the two maps that the legislature rejected and sent the work back to the commission. And then that's where things fell apart. Was that sort of the, you know, other than the design of the constitutional amendment, perhaps, is the sort of original sin in the process here the fact that the state legislature did not force the commission, sue it if it had to, create some sort of remedy for the commission to send it a second map or set of maps? Well, there was discussion, uh, especially by the Court of Appeals last year, on how do you force a commission that won't work with each other to work with each other? Um, how do you make that happen? They they never answered that. But the commission pretty much went, went out, they, they kept their staff in place, but they went out of business. There was no way that the five, that the 10 members were going to get back together again. Uh, in all of the court action back and forth last year, the appellate courts, the, the lower courts actually gave the legislature a second chance to draw the map over again. But the legislature uh, didn't do that. It thought it would be saved in the end by the Court of Appeals, and that call didn't work out quite right at all. So there's a lot of games gamesmanship. There was a lot of second guessing and Monday morning quarterbacking as to, well, what should the next step be? But the legislature last year did what you'd think a legislature should normally do under the current constitution, take the responsibility to enact a plan. Uh, but the courts last year said, it's still your responsibility. We've got to play by the rules and let things play out. And you didn't do that. Now the court's saying, okay, you didn't do that last year. We're giving you the second chance to finish the job now. And that's where we are today. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I'm glad you brought up that other decision in the legislature. I mean, it seems like a couple of, of big calls that uh, turned out to not be particularly wise. But of course, you know, this is a lot of this is is hindsight now. And and uh, and we have <laughs> more insight into how it all played out. Um, the the going back to this question for voters, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of discussion out there to say the special master drawn lines were, you know, quote unquote, pretty good. We had a whole bunch of competitive elections. Uh, it happened that in a number of them, Republicans won very narrowly. It should be pointed out that at least in one very competitive election, one of the Democrats won Pat Ryan in the Hudson Valley to, to go into Congress. But you know, it was a certain political trend year and Republicans narrowly won a handful of these competitive races, but the districts were competitive and the lines are pretty good. Uh, wh wh where does that come into play and how did the plaintiffs in this case deal with that? Well, there's still a lot of dissatisfaction in the map itself that uh, uh, you know, can split 
uh, hairs a lot of different ways and how a district should or shouldn't be drawn. Uh, it's going to be up to the legislature now to make those decisions. You can draw thousands of plans. Computers can draw plans. People can draw plans. Uh, the you know the question now is to have a plan enacted that better reflects the will of the voters through the legislature than through the court, which had a very limited experience in drawing the map. Now, to, to the court's um, uh, benefit, last year, the court did commence hearings, did rely on the record compiled by the, by the commission, and the special master did make a lot of uh, you know, great effort to draw what he thought was a fair plan. Uh, but there were differences. I mean, for many decades, just to give you one example, the east side and the west side of Manhattan, relatively north of 14th Street, had been in two separate districts. You know, it's like the song goes, east side, west side, all around the town. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the the special master, uh, in, in his analysis, found that there weren't that much, um, there, there wasn't that much difference between people on the Upper West Side and the Upper East Side, demographically, sociologically, racially, and that he thought it was just a lot of myth that these were two separate distinct neighborhoods. So he combined them into one district and uh, by doing so, uh, paired two senior Democrats, both sharing major committees in Congress into the same district resulting in a very messy primary where a longtime incumbent, uh, Jerry Nadler, then chair of the Judiciary Committee, ended up defeating his colleague, Carolyn Maloney, chair of the Government Reform and Operations Committee. And that wasn't a pleasant experience. So that's just one example of how this map really uh, did not reflect, let's say, the will of the voters as much as what the court determined uh, a, a map should look like. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The uh, the initial process here is laid out by the 2014 constitutional amendment. It should be noted that at the time, this was a compromise among then Governor Andrew Cuomo and a split legislature with Democrats in control of the assembly and Republicans in control of the state Senate. Fast forward to more recent years, of course, since 2019, New York has had a Democratic governor and majorities or super majorities in both houses of the state legislature, giving Democrats much more political power to do things with uh, processes like redistricting here. There, there was one attempt to make some alterations to the redistricting process that voters actually voted down. Can you say a little bit about that proposal and where there may be discussion of seeking some changes to this process and the commission process and make up ahead of the next round. I mean, we don't we don't know what's going to happen here. This could go on years more. There could be more lawsuits. We could get back to that in a minute. But there are there have been some efforts and some questions around can the legislature put in front of voters again a change to this redistricting process to update it in certain ways say a little bit about what was attempted and then what could also potentially be attempted ahead of the 2030 census and the redistricting process that will follow that. Yeah, sure. Uh, before the, the post-2020 line drawing process got underway, there was an effort in the Assembly and Senate to amend the Constitution yet one more time to fix some of the uh, foreseen problems with the 2014 amendment. Uh, one of the issues that this constitutional amendment would have addressed was what would happen if the commission deadlocked. Uh, so there were various uh, provisions in this amendment that would have eliminated some of the partisan favoritism uh, in, the, in the amendment, uh, such as having uh, stereo staff, Democratic and Republican staff uh, equally divided for the commission. Uh, it would have fixed the uh, uh, criteria it would have set a better calendar in light of the the, the pandemic uh, late delivery of census de uh, data. Uh, it would have allowed the legislature to have picked up if the, if the commission had imploded as it did without the necessary second map. Uh, it would have also done a bunch of other things, early voting, uh, poll-related voting issues, and it became 
uh, a kitchen sink for uh, election law reforms all in one bill. No one expected it to be defeated, uh, but at the last minute, uh, there was a huge infusion of, I'll call it dark money, uh, money from third-party outside sources that worked very hard to defeat the amendment. Uh, the Democratic Party put up no effort at all to support the amendment, and uh, you know it went it went down in flames. Yeah, what do you think could or should be done ahead of next time? Or again, I mean, the, the, you know, the legis as you're getting at here, the legislature could put. Uh, something in front of voters, you know, as soon as a, a couple of years from now, but at any point here before the bigger picture next phase of this process unfolds after the 2030 census, yeah. what do you think could or should be done to adjust this? Uh, as I've indicated, it's, I, you know, it seems to me to make sense that they try to fix the even numbered uh, makeup well, of the commission, but that's that's just one idea. For that's me. one of them. There are a number <laughs> of things that could be done to fix this process before 2030, and ideally to have this done by 2028. So there are about five years to do this, and to amend the constitution, you have to send legislation through two separately elected legislatures. So you could, let's say, amend the constitution in the next legislature, 2024, 2025. And then the next legislature, 2026, 2027, can elect, can pass the same amendment again, then send it to the voters for approval by 2027 or 2028. But the amendment to the process can really go in, in one of two ways. The ideal way to avoid the legislative breakdown and also to create a much more independent and transparent process is to follow what California and Michigan have done, and to create a completely independent redistricting process outside of the legislature. Now, the alternative to that is to clean up the mess, but still give final approval to the legislature. But whichever way that goes, you, you know, a number of things need to happen. Uh, you need to create a better uh, membership of the commission, including a tiebreaker. Uh, you need to remove politics from the process as best as possible, giving the legislative leaders you know, less authority over the commission. Uh, you need to take the criteria. By criteria, I mean uh, the rules of the game, one person, one vote, population equality, respecting minority voting rights, keeping districts compact in shape, contiguous in how they're, they're formed, uh, considering uh, communities of interest, uh, looking at the cores of existing districts and uh, a ban on partisan gerrymandering or favoring or disfavoring parties or candidates and rank them in priority order so that there's a sense of what's more important than the other. And that that has worked uh, in New York City for 30 years now to have ranked criteria so that you don't just pick one criteria out of seven and focus on that. Uh, and that goes for the courts as well as the legislature. Last year, the courts only picked on one criteria out of a half dozen, the ban on partisan gerrymandering, and didn't consider any of the other factors beyond population equality and minority voting rights, uh, where there's still some criticism of how the court drew the plan for Black and Hispanic voters. Uh, so you need to really uh, change the way the commission is created, change the way the commission operates, uh, create a tiebreaker to make it more tenable to, uh, you know, not let this deadlock over again. And then the ultimate is to really have a completely independent process. Now, the Democrats control the governor's office and the assembly in the Senate. So, you know, the fear is if we don't control the power of the line drawing pen, we could lose control of um, one of the chambers or the congressional delegation. That was a major fear 20 years ago uh, faced by Democrats in California who controlled state government. But in the two decades that California has used an independent commission, Democrats have actually fared better, not because the districts were partisanly gerrymandered, but because California is basically a blue state. As you draw compact, contiguous districts that fairly reflect minority voting rights, and communities, you're going to end up with a plan that looks like what the people want. 
And that's not what you necessarily have when politicians draw the lines to pick their voters and not the voters drawing the lines to pick their politicians. And we won't get into this now. I can have more political people on to discuss this, but there is, of course, that is also, you know, that's a very sort of good government, independent redistricting lens. There's another lens that says, well, if Republican-led states are not going to do those types of things, then a Democratic state-led state like New York should not sort of, quote unquote, disarm, uh, you know, uh, short of a sort of national policy on gerrymandering. I'm glad you say gerrymandering, but right. I don't think I, as it's supposed to be said, but I don't that's think I can whole, switch. I don't think I can switch now, Jeff. Um, Let me mention on that. Yeah. You know, there, there is a debate on uh, whether it's fair that Republicans go to the, you know, the nth degree in North Carolina to gerrymander the heck out of their districts where there are no constraints in state law against that. And that's just what's happening now. But there is every reason to believe that a Democratic-controlled state legislature in New York can draw a fair and equitable plan uh, that will withstand any kind of uh, uh, you know, court challenge that you know, we're playing in a, in a zero-sum game here. One party is going to control, the other is going to be in the minority. We're not creating 50-50 equal districts. The, the key is that a legislature not get greedy, not get egregious, not basically get stupid in drawing a map that goes against common sense and reason and just grabs every kind of partisan advantage possible. That's where you get into trouble. So the, you know, the challenge for the New York legislature now is to draw, and the commission, is to draw a map that is responsible, uh, that follows the law, and that will, in the end, benefit one party over the other in the, in, the, you know, in the big picture. There's nothing wrong with that if it could be done correctly. And there are some states, maybe overly too overwhelmingly blue, but like Massachusetts, where Democrats control the process and have drawn very fair maps for the last 30 years that have not had a single challenge filed against them, nor have plans in California been challenged in any major way in the 20 years that that state's had commissions. Uh, but there's a way to avoid litigation, and that's by responsible districting. Right. Follow, follow, the, the, follow the process and uh, and don't and don't excessively gerrymander or, or gerrymander at all. But, you know, there's obviously wiggle room uh, as we're getting at here. And let me um, know, it's also yeah, benefit, we, though, to to keeping incumbents in office. It's not just that we all we always just want voters to pick their uh, their candidates. But in some cases, when you have somebody who in Congress for 30, 40 years, like Charlie Rangel, who represented Upper Manhattan, he was chair of the Ways and Means Committee. You want to keep him in Congress. I mean, New York lost years of seniority and power with the loss of Carolyn Maloney last year. Mm. So anytime you lose a congressional district, it hurts. But when you lose an incumbent who's built up her or his power because of seniority and the seniority system, to an extent, still prevails in Congress, uh, then uh, you know seniority and incumbent districts do matter. That's interesting. Um, let me ask you. Let's 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 bring it back now to the process um, that's about to unfold, and and give people a little sense of sort of the timeline here and what's about to happen, and some of the pitfalls that potentially could happen here, because we're talking about yet again a pretty tight timeline at play. But let me first just remind people I'm speaking with Professor Jeff Weiss, who directs the Census and Redistricting Institute at New York Law School. Uh, so, Jeff, the as I mentioned, the Court of Appeals kicking this process back to the New York State Independent Redistricting Commission, saying, pick up where you fell apart, uh, at least present a second set of maps to the legislature, even if you can't agree on one map, um, by February 28th. So say a little bit about what's about to unfold here, what to watch for, and the potential pitfalls and how the election calendar could be impacted here. Well, the, the biggest pitfall is that the Court of Appeals has given the commission until February 28th to develop a new map to send to the legislature. Uh, that flies in the face of the State Board of Elections tentative first date to circulate petitions being February 27th, 
with the admonition in the decision that hopefully they'll have a map sent a lot earlier, uh, they could have actually set better dates. Uh, but working backwards, if we're going to have petitioning start for the June 25th primary on February 27th, ideally, you'd want to have a map in place and finished, signed by the governor in early to mid-February, so as to give the county boards of elections and candidates enough time to prepare for petitioning. So working backwards on that calendar, that gives the legislature the better part of very early February and January to do its work to consider a commission map. And we're, we're past the, the commission's first round cycle. The commission picks up where it left off. So the commission needs to send the second map to the legislature by ideally uh, the beginning of January, which is just around the corner and yeah. probably not likely uh, in the scenario today, but every day, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, we need to also see what the commission can do with still a 5-5 membership, 10 members total, Will they agree on a map? Now, there's talk that the commissioners are talking and trying to develop a joint map, but a joint map, a bipartisan map, isn't that easy once you understand that seven of the ten votes are seven of ten votes are needed to uh, create such a plan. And of those seven members, you need one member from each of the two appointments <clears throat> made by the legislative leaders. I mean, the speaker, the assembly, minority leader, the Senate president, they each get to put two people on this commission. So at least one of each of the four leaders appointees need to support a plan. If they get seven votes, that means we have a bipartisan plan and it's more likely to be accepted by the legislature and governor. But if they don't receive seven votes, then the Constitution permits for the map or maps with the most votes to be sent to the commission, similar to what happened in January of 2022. So we don't know what the Republicans might do. The Democrats could conceivably submit a map with five votes to the legislature. The legislature can then vote up or down on that map without amendment. If it's rejected, they can then draw their own map. Then there are other questions, whether a state statute will preempt the Constitution's language and require that the legislature not change any commission-drawn district by more than 2% population. Mm -hmm. If a district has 100,000 people, you can't change it by more than 2,000 people. And that itself can generate a whole new lawsuit. So even if all the rules are uh, followed now, one little misstep or one big question mark can create a whole new round of litigation. But the Republicans' get, aim is to delay the process to pre prevent a new map from going into place by late February. To the Democrats' advantage, a, a quicker process will help them avoid any delay issues. So we've got process issues, political issues, and calendar issues before us. Wow. This is all unprecedented and <laughs> never happened before in state history. Well, I'm glad you're here to explain it all to people. We've just got our last few minutes together here. Uh, and thank you for all the time, uh, Jeff Weiss. So, I mean, it, it it occurs to me that, well, first, Republicans have already said they're ready to sue again. And uh, former Congressman John Faso, who's been very involved in those efforts uh, to bring the suit uh, that was ruled on last year, uh, you know, has said so in reaction to this Court of Appeals ruling. And so, you know, there's a very good chance that there's more uh, court decisions to come here, and it's not as simple as the commission does whatever it's going to do. You laid out some of the scenarios, and then the legislature takes it all on. Uh, there could be uh, some effort, even if there isn't a misstep, as you say, there could be some effort to find some problem uh, with the process, and you know, or or uh, you know, potentially how the districts are drawn in terms of gerrymandering. That um, lots of people, including Republicans and others, will be watching for here. Um, say a little bit more about uh, the this this question of what would be or wouldn't be gerrymandering. What do Democrats, if they wind up drawing these lines, which again seems like the most likely scenario that the Democrats who have super majorities in the state legislature will draw the district lines, what do they have to be most careful of? There was obviously this attempt, for example, they tried to create a uh, new 11th 
Congressional District of New York, which is the seat held right now by Republican Nicole Maliotakis that is based on Staten Island and that includes parts of Brooklyn. There was a, an attempt last time around in the maps that got struck down to make that much more in play by de in, for Democrats by making the Brooklyn part reach into more liberal areas of Brooklyn than the more moderate to conservative Southern Brooklyn areas. Uh, that, for example, really jumped out at people as a, as a bit of an overreach. What did what would Democrats have to be most wary of here uh, to not enter into that territory again? Yeah, that's a great question and a difficult one to answer because there is no hard and fast rule or formula as to know when you've reached political gerrymandering bounds. Right. That if the Democrats try to create six more Democratic opportunities by drawing districts that when you look at recent election trends overlaid over on that district, you can show that Joe Biden or previous incumbents won that district by 5% or 20%. If you try to create districts, too many districts that will favor one party over another, uh, that gives rise to partisan gerrymandering claims. Uh, if you draw a district that adheres to the previous district that has elected a member for 20 years, is that partisan or not? Because you also should consider the cores of pre-existing districts. So it's a very tough call. Mm -hmm. In the case last year, the, the Harkin-Ryder case, the court relied on the testimony of the Republicans' expert who found that the plans were an overreach, yet the Democrats' experts argued unsuccessfully and really blindly to the court that those districts would not, in fact, uh, elect uh, Democrats in every instance as the, uh, as the press and the Republicans have been claiming for the last uh, two years. Uh, you know, the courts are going to have to, if there's a challenge, the courts are going to have to weigh the expert testimony of um, uh, political scientists who will come in with tons of formulas and algorithms to show the court that this map is or isn't a fair map, that it overreaches, that it's too greedy. Uh, you know, some things by the optics alone might give rise to uh, a partisan question. You know, I think it's been well stated and argued that if you draw a district that goes from the Suffolk County line all the way to the Connecticut border following the Long Island Sound, that that is going to be a Democratic district, when many believe that if that district that was rejected by the courts last year had been used in last year's elections, George Santos would have won anyhow, even though the district was drawn as an alleged Democratic gerrymander. So yeah. it's, this is a very hard test, and there's no one-size-fits-all formula. Right. I mean, I was trying to get at this in the introduction when I briefly noted, you know, there's a lot of other things that matter here, in including political trends uh, and also candidates and campaigns and whether it's a presidential year. I mean, we saw Max Rose win that Staten Island-based New York 11. Again, that was a you know, exception uh, in recent you know, long-term trends, but you know, these things happen. Um, and so there's a lot of things that do matter here. Uh, you know, it was interesting to me all the sort of blame that was being thrown on the special master in the districts uh, last time around when, uh, again, there were a lot of highly competitive districts and mostly, uh, you know, Republicans had certain trends in their favor and Democrats ran some bad campaigns and and so on and so forth. Um, turnout challenges, you know, for the Democrats and, and other things. Um, in our last uh, couple of moments here, are there any particular districts that you're most watching for here? Is that more of a political question that I should get into with, you know, uh, strategists and others? But are there any districts you're most watching here that that are top of mind in terms of this yeah. process unfolding? I'm particularly interested in looking at the districts on Long Island, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the Nassau County third and fourth districts, which had uh, been held by uh, Democrats and now by Republicans. I'd look at the uh, lower Hudson Valley, uh, where Michael Aller and Mondaire Jones may face off in a different district that had been in Democratic hands prior to last year's redrawing. And also in the Syracuse uh, uh, area, where there's one district that could be at play there. But all those districts could be drawn to advantage Democrats and still be won by Republicans. You know, the Nassau County 4th District is very compact. It's almost square. 
that had elected Carolyn McCarthy to Congress for uh, many years. And when her successor, uh, Democrat Kathleen Rice, retired, uh, that district went to Anthony Desposito. Uh, and in, in that district, which uh, had elected Democrats to Congress for many years, uh, the city of Long Beach within that congressional district went Democratic last, I'm sorry, went Republican last month. So uh, aside from redistricting, Republicans have done very well in the suburbs. Also in the third district where uh, now you've got uh, Tom Swasey trying to get his old seat back, uh, the seat that George Santos uh, was uh, expelled from. Uh, in North Hempstead, the core of that district, Republicans held on to the town government pretty strongly. So when you look at other kinds of bellwether you know, races in those districts, Republicans have done well. Well, and and to that point, the trend lines on Long Island versus the Hudson Valley, even though there were Republicans like Mike Lawler who were successful in the Hudson Valley in 2022 congressional races, you know, the trend lines look more Republican on Long Island and more Democratic, uh, you know, in other in parts of the northern suburbs and so forth. So that also then comes back to decisions that potentially Democrats in the state legislature will have to make about how to sort of shape some of these districts to take into account political trends. And there's questions around, you know, how do you how do you sort of forecast where these trends are heading and, you know, try to maneuver the lines, uh, you know, to some political advantage while not overreaching. Um, I will, I will, of course, on the show here, be getting into a lot more on the politics of 2024 and many of these races to watch. It will be helpful once we know what the district lines are. Uh, Jeff, any last thought, anything we didn't get to, anything I didn't ask you that I should have, any final thought here as we say goodbye, any element oh. of this whole thing? I look at the big picture, and New York is part of a, of a national mosaic where these kinds of court battles are being fought across the country that whereas uh, Democrats are likely to pick up districts because of lawsuits in Alabama, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, uh, where uh, Republicans may pick up three districts in North Carolina, each district is being fought at the single district level. And that the one, two, three, or four districts that may, may be in play in New York juxtaposed along with the districts in uh, in Florida, Wisconsin, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, 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 Georgia, uh, Louisiana. It all adds up to give one party an advantage at the starting gate before the campaigns get underway. And with the Republican advantage in Congress now being, I think, four votes, each of these district fights matters. A lot to come in 2024. Professor Jeff Weiss directs the Census and Redistricting Institute at New York Law School. Jeff, thank you so much for all this time and all these thoughts. My pleasure. We'll be checking in soon. Okay, thank you. Take care. Mm -hmm.